Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt, slashing your taxes, and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, who has a vast collection of vintage DC and Marvel comic books, and ironically lives in Minnesota, where his favorite NBA team, the LA Lakers, originated, Dave Denniston. Hello, my friends. This is Dave Denniston, and welcome back to another episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping doctors like you slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Well, I am just really excited to have this next guest with us. He is a commercial real estate expert who specializes in healthcare provider. So he knows all about the healthcare real estate industry. And we know with COVID happening, we're recording this in August 2020, that there's a lot to talk about. For example, should we be looking at renegotiating leases? Should we look at buying a place? Because there's a lot of people hurting out there. So excited to have this gentleman who founded and scaled CAR, which is a nationwide commercial real estate company. Please help me welcome Colin Carr. Welcome to the podcast, Colin. Thanks, Dave. Glad to be here. Yeah, yeah. Glad to have you there, here, my friend. Well, we're talking talking before the the podcast about Colorado and and some of the the weather things out there. Um, let us know a little bit more about you. Were you always in Colorado? Where did you grow up? Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, we were talking about Colorado, and we've got some of the the big wildfires happening right now, and. We're joking. There's there's no shortage of uh, of crazy happening in, <laughs> unfortunately, almost every every state and every city right now. There's there's something new on a on a daily or weekly basis keeps yes. everyone on their toes. Uh, but yeah, I've been here in Colorado for almost 20 years. I I grew up in northern Michigan in a little resort town called Charlevoix, a beautiful beautiful little town on the on the water, freshwater lakes on one side, Lake Michigan on the other. So it's awesome. And moved to Colorado when I was 20, and I am almost 40, so I'm I'm almost at the 50-yard line as far as Colorado versus Michigan. <laughs> there you go. I'm I'm kind of the same way here in Minnesota. We've been here 12 years now, over 12 years, and and grew up in Southern California. Lived in Washington for about 10, so got another six more years, and I'll have lived longer here than I did in California. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Well, tell us about um, kind of your, your real estate career. So have, have you always been doing healthcare related stuff? What's, what's your career been like? Yeah, so I am one of those people that decided to take about uh, six months or a year off before I went to college to figure out what I wanted to do. And I started working in the real estate profession and I got hooked. So I've been doing real estate since I was 19 years old. Uh, I've done healthcare real estate for about 14 years now, but uh, it's, it's all I've known. I started managing apartment complexes when I was 19. I got into brokerage when I was 23. And I have had a, uh, a fun and, and broad uh, experience in real estate with doing retail work for large retailers like Walmart, Wendy's, Blockbuster, people like that. But a lot of office industrial. And long story short, I had the privilege of working with a handful of healthcare providers uh, a number of years into my real estate career and fell in love with with helping the healthcare industry with working with the actual practices and doctors and administrators. And I started our company car uh, in 2009 with the, the double niche of only healthcare and only representing tenants and buyers. 
That was a heck of a time to make a change, huh? Yeah, it's 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 funny how that works. Uh, the the experiences that I had were I, I was doing a lot of landlord work and I had a I had a significant number of class A medical office buildings and I, I had a handful of transactions I was involved with where physicians came to the properties interested in leasing space and these landlords were very sophisticated publicly traded REITs real estate investment trusts so very very savvy landlords that owned you know hundreds of millions of dollars of real estate. And I, I went through a handful of transactions with physicians that ha- did not have representation. They were trying to do it yourself mentality or they didn't know who to hire. So they were trying to negotiate these deals by themselves. And the, the summary is they got destroyed. I mean, they, they are paying several dollars a square foot higher than people that were represented professionally. They were getting less concessions, less free rent, less tenant improvement allowance. Uh, they were missing other really uh, key business deal points they didn't know to even negotiate on. And I just I had a couple transactions where I worked for the landlord on those transactions and I watched these these physician tenants again just just get severely taken advantage of. And in that scenario, I had a fiduciary responsibility to my client, the the landlord. And so I couldn't tip off the doctor and say, hey, you're getting you're getting taken advantage of right now. This is this is not the deal that you should be negotiating. You need to get representation. I couldn't say those things because I was on the landlord side and I had a legal fiduciary to protect my client, the landlord. Uh, But yeah, long story short is after a couple of those transactions went down, I just realized how exposed the healthcare providers were. And I started going after healthcare providers, trying to educate them and help them. And within a short period of time, I I made the decision to make the jump exclusively to to the doctor side. And yes, 2009 was a was an interesting time in the market to do it, but the healthcare industry doesn't stop. You know, the markets are up or down. There's there's whether it's a national disaster, war, election year, pandemic. You know, doctors don't stop needing office space and don't stop needing uh, the ability to capture the best terms possible. So we started in 09 and uh, have not looked back since. Well, that's that's a yeah, it's a heck of a time to come out of the the last recession and and now um, going going into this one, which of course has hit healthcare really hard. Um, tell us about what are you seeing right now during these times with with COVID, where certainly some physicians had no income coming in for a period of time, and other ones are are busier than they've probably ever been in their their practices. This is this is an interesting scenario because we we've never at least in our generation have seen a shutdown. We we've never seen what we're seeing before. We've experienced, uh, you know, when when we're getting pulled into a war and, and that has an effect. We've experienced terrorist attacks. We've experienced, you know, natural disasters like Katrina and, and things like that. And there's all sorts of things that have disrupted America and it's disrupted the economy. A mortgage crisis, stock market uh, crash. There's there's all these things that have happened over the last several decades, uh, but we've never experienced where people either can't go to work or they're, they're, they're uh, limited on, they can only see a few patients here and there. Uh, it, it's, it's something we've never seen before. And, and you're right, there's, there's certain industries of healthcare that are busier than ever before. And there's other people that are, are really hurting right now. What I will say is this, is that we, you know, from a real estate perspective, we, we've tracked the last, the last several 
uh, economic recessions and the healthcare industry has, has weathered those storms and has rebounded as fast as any industry, which speaks to just the, the importance and the prominence of healthcare in our society. And so, you know, whether people are, are having all time highs right now, whether they're, you know, barely making it, whether they're in the toughest place they've ever been, I do believe as a whole that uh, the future is bright and that, you know, healthcare is resilient and they're going to find a way to get through it. For sure. For sure. Um, so tell us a little bit more, you know, let's dig into that deeper. What, what specific situations, you know, are you seeing out there? Like are, are people renegotiating their leases? Are, are there values? You know, I think about even commercial real estate as an asset class, certainly more physicians are doing telemedicine visits than ever before. So maybe they don't even need the office space that they might have had in the past. What are you seeing? I think there's going to be some people that are able to, to do the telehealth uh, model effectively. I think as a whole, though, if I were to put a percentage on there, you know, 95 to 98% of the healthcare providers are still going to need a very strong healthcare presence as far as a physical office and a location. And so I think commercial real estate is a topic that, that is going to continue to affect every healthcare practice out there. Uh, what I will say is this, uh, I think a lot of healthcare providers are, are looking at ideas such as, you know, is this the right time for me to own my own space? You know, maybe they hadn't thought of that before. Maybe they hadn't pursued it. Maybe they've never had anyone who could educate them on, on what a true purchase versus lease comparison looked like and what some of the pros and cons of, of either scenario are. But I think a lot of healthcare providers are looking at, all right, is this a chance for me to diversify, create an additional asset through my real estate? with the idea that you've got to cut a check either way. You're cutting a check either to a third party landlord, or you're cutting a check to yourself or the entity that you have that owns the real estate in a mortgage scenario. But if you got to cut a check either way, you know, it, it makes sense to look at, is this the right time to own your own, your own space? And does that help provide you a stronger position in the market if there is a recession or a correction with the idea that if you buy a, a commercial property or a condo or you, you buy land and build your own facility, and you're, you know, 10 years into a 20-year mortgage and the market cracks, you know, arguably you might have a couple hundred thousand dollars of equity built up. You might have a million or two million dollars of equity built up that could help offset some of the loss in your practice or some of the challenges. And that concept there is, is one that is worth looking at. If you're in a scenario where you, you're going to need a much different size space in a few years, you're not sure where you want to be. There's variables that, that make it less desirable to own, but if you have a pretty good feel for the area that you want to be located in, for the size of space that you want to occupy, and if there are viable options to buy buildings or condos or land, that's a scenario that I think every healthcare provider should be considering because you can end up in a scenario where that real estate could be worth as much or more than the practice, or you could end up in a scenario where you, know, you have the benefit of of a pretty legitimate amount of equity and, and an additional uh, safety blanket, if you will, where you've got, you've got reserves there that can help weather the storm. Sure. No, I agree with that. Um, but I'm sure it's not all roses and daisies. And especially in this time now, there, there are definitely some mistakes that people are making. Let's talk about leases first. What do you think are the top three mistakes that practice owners are making with leasing? Uh, that is a good question. I, I will try to narrow it to three, but there's quite a few <laughs> as you can imagine. Uh, 
well, let me start by saying this. You're talking about real estate. It, that's usually second or third highest expense behind payroll and then supplies, equipment, technology, lab. If you lump those together, you're usually second or third highest expense for most practices. So real estate, again, is, a, is an area that uh, affects a lot of people and there's a lot on the line. Top mistake that I see healthcare providers making is they, they try the do-it-yourself mentality. They, they try to you know, negotiate themselves. They want to keep control or they don't know who to call or they don't have the time to deal with it. And so they have either they deal with it or their administrator deals with it. And these people are calling landlords that are highly sophisticated, that are savvy, that own you know, very large assets. And these people negotiate professionally for a living and they negotiate with the help of other professionals. And they're, they're entering into these discussions with no posture, with, with no strategy, and they are getting taken advantage of at a very high rate. They're going up against you know hospital systems or or publicly traded REITs or you know conglomerate investors that own tons of property, and and a lot of these people they're they're cordial they're respectful they talk to the physicians or the administrators with respect or they're nice, but they're taking them uh, to the cleaners like they they are and whether you're paying an extra dollar or two dollars or three dollars a square foot more you don't always take the time to stop and realize what are we talking about here? If you're in a space that's 4,000 feet and you're paying an extra $3 a square foot, that's $12,000 more per year that you didn't have to pay if you had a strategy or, or, or you knew the market or you had a real posture. And then if you don't get the right amount of tenant improvement allowance, or you don't get the right amount of free rent or you don't have a proper assignability clause, which allows you to get off the lease if you're going to sell the practice or transition. I mean, there's so many areas you can make a mistake. So if I was to narrow it down, I'd say the, the number one mistake healthcare providers make is they, they try to do it themselves or they don't take the time to create a posture or strategy. And then that ties into the second issue is they don't, they don't understand what the market bears. They don't understand what other landlords would be willing to offer them. They don't understand uh, how to do a purchase versus lease comparison. They don't understand uh, the difference of of them uh, in a renewal negotiation versus a new space negotiation. And if, if you were to tell most people, do you understand that even in a lease renewal, you should still be capturing tenant premium allowance. You should, you should be achieving free rent. You should have the chance to reset your base year, to lower your lease rate. They don't understand those things. They think that, hey, I'm in a space. I don't want to move. Landlord probably knows that. I'm going to have to suffer through this negotiation. And, and if I can even get through it, that's positive. But they don't realize they're complete negotiation with the true posture with the true strategy where you know the market and you can make your current landlord compete for your tenancy in that building and if, if you approach it that way that's how that's how starbucks approaches their deals that's how chipotle that's how a charles schwab or a merrill lynch or a large you know a large law firm would is so let me let me let me interrupt you there just to just to recapture some of what you're saying so if i'm understanding you right it sounds like the second mistake you mentioned was basically people should know that as your lease comes up, so let's say your lease is expiring this December and um, you have a choice, right? You could stay where you're at or you could move to a different place. And it sounds like you're suggesting that folks should negotiate as that comes around and you could get concessions, whether it's getting new paint job or new carpets or um, getting a month or two of free rent. Am I capturing that right? Absolutely. It's the whole idea that you don't just, 
accept the renewal options that are already in your lease or you don't just accept the proposal that the landlord sends you when they say, hey, your lease is coming up, Here, here's your, your renewal terms. You don't just accept that because the reality is the landlord's agenda is to charge you the most they can get away with and to give you the least they can to have you still stay in the space. And the difference typically tends to hundreds of thousands of dollars over a five to 10 year period. And so the idea is you've got to be educated. You've got to have representation. You need to know what the market bears. You need to know what your options are. And if you, if you have those components, then you can create a posture and a strategy where you actually have the ability to negotiate effectively and not just barter or bluff and ask for a better deal, but not really know how to get there. So what do you think the third mistake is? Or is that, is that kind of all three combined? <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, you could, you could, you could combine those. Um, third mistake that healthcare providers make, uh, which I, I think would tie into the first two as well, is they, they tell their landlord things such as, I don't, I don't want to move, or this is the location that I want to be in, or we'd like to stay, what's the best you can do for us? And again, that's just, those are, those are terrible mistakes to make because the landlord uh, if the landlord hears that you can't move, don't want to move, aren't willing to move, you're going to pay a premium for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's, that's literally like walking into a car dealership and saying, I have up to $50,000. I have to walk out with that specific car right there. And there's no other car that I'm going to buy besides that car right there. What does that car cost? And by the way, again, I have exactly $50,000. <laughs> it's, it's not coming in at 40,000 at that point. It's coming in at, at 50. And so, uh, telling landlords what, what you really want to do, thinking they're going to treat you fairly. Unfortunately, that's not how the game's played. Um, and so uh, that's one. Another one we could throw in there too is people will ask their colleagues, you know, what type of deal did you achieve? And again, what they're doing is they're asking somebody who, who didn't do a good job what they should expect as well. And that's a pretty low benchmark and a pretty bad measuring, measuring tool, if you will. Uh, so that's another one as well. What about, um, so let's switch it up. So that's, that's people that are leasing space. They're renting space in a, in a office building. What about if you own it? What do you think are, are some of the mistakes that people make who buy? You know, there's, there's a number of mistakes people make when they buy. Uh, I think you can, you can mitigate a lot of those by having a really good real estate agent help you navigate that process. Uh, I think one thing people should be paying attention to right now, and this will answer that question, but it's, it's hopefully is aware uh, for the market. Interest rates right now are so competitive. Uh, maybe somebody did an SBA loan a number of years ago and they're paying, you know, a six, 7% interest rate. And that was the great loan because you needed a lower down payment to get into the property. You know, you can borrow money right now, uh, even in the commercial world in the threes or fours. Wow. And so if you, if you did an SBA loan, two, three years ago, and you've gotten past the time frame of the prepayment penalty, uh, now is a phenomenal time to look at a refinance because interest rates are so competitive. Um, you know, that, that's one area. There's a lot of areas when you own real estate that you've got you to be careful of as far as having the right entity structure and making sure that you've got the ability to sell the practice without the real estate or vice versa. Um, but I, I think... Uh, a common mistake people make with, with owning real estate too is when they get ready to sell the practice, they assume they have to sell their real estate to the person that buys the practice. That's not true. There's a ton of investors out there that will pay top dollar uh, to buy a property that is physician leased. And so if, if you want to look at cashing out of your real estate or if you want to free up some more capital or if you sell your practice and the person that, that buys your practice doesn't want to own the real estate, 
you can keep leasing it to them as an annuity and that could be a great investment. You can also look at cashing out because there's a lot of people that will buy uh, leased real estate when a, when a healthcare provider owns it. So that's another area to pay attention to as well. So as, as we, we look at this, um, what, how do you think people should judge? Is, is buying a place or leasing a place better for me? My response to that is you should always look at all your options. There's a lot of healthcare providers that, that heard in, uh, in school or residency or they, they hired a consultant and, and it depends on who you talk to, they'll tell you emphatically you should always lease or, or they'll tell you you should always own. And it's, it's amazing to us when we, we talk to healthcare providers, we ask them, uh, you know, what, what's your priority? And, you know, the, the smartest ones say, I want to know all my options. I want to know what it looks like to lease or purchase. And I want to consider those. Uh, a lot of times, though, they'll tell us why I only want to lease. I don't want to own. And we'll say, well, well, why not? And then they'll tell us because someone told them that that's the right, the right choice. Uh, other times, uh, people will have the opposite. They'll say, well, I have to own and I'm not willing to look at leasing. That's the wrong mentality, too. What we advise healthcare providers is to, to figure out your requirement. What's the space? What's the area? What's, what's important? Do you need to be on hospital campus adjacent to, you know, what, what are we, what are we uh, trying to focus in on? But then the game plan is you go to the market. You look at your top options to lease. You look at your top options to purchase. You look at your top options to, to buy ground and build your own facility. And then it, it starts with a detailed economic analysis, you know, what does it look like from a cash flow standpoint? What type of check are you going to cut per month to, to own your own space versus leasing? What does it cost to get into a lease space uh, capital-wise with deposits of that versus what's the down payment if you were to, to buy your own real estate? And, and there's things there that can disqualify. If it takes $300,000 as a down payment to buy the real estate and you don't have that, you know, that could be a non-starter. But healthcare providers are typically amazed at the type of financing that they can achieve. And so you can usually get around big down payments. You can get around a lot of capital intensive uh, upfront costs. And so you start looking at it. What does it cost to own versus lease? Then you say to yourself, all right, what are the tax deductions? If I get to depreciate the real estate, if I own it, how much, how much more can I pay in a payment and yet still save money? Cause I'm paying a lot less in taxes monthly or quarterly because I'm getting these huge tax deductions that becomes a factor. And then the third and ultimate one is what is the principal pay down? I'm going to cut a check for $10,000 a month, whether I lease or own. And if in the own scenario, four or 5,000 per month goes to pay down principal and my net worth increases by 5,000 a month, every month that I cut that check. And again, I'm going to cut a check every month, no matter what, that becomes a really compelling reason to consider ownership. So for me personally, it's, it's know your options. Number one, don't, don't decide before you've seen your options. Number two, do a detailed economic analysis, a detailed comparison of, of leasing versus purchasing. And then number three, once you have that information, then you can start to decide, hey, what's the best location for referrals, for, you know, for patients, uh, for staffing, all those things, you, you can factor them in there. But usually by the time you get to that third one, you're gonna know very quickly, hey, this is the best deal for me. And in this case, you know, leasing makes more sense because it's a way better location, way lower cost, or hey, in this scenario, I can own for less than it costs me to lease and it's a better building. And in 20 years, I'm going to have an asset that's paid off free and clear. That's worth as much or more than my practice. And you start to figure out very quickly, which one makes more sense for you. I would, I would um, add uh, something to consider <clears throat> that I don't think I, I heard you mention is that 
when you buy commercial real estate, the way mortgages are usually set up are significantly different than a lot of residential mortgages. You know, usually most of us, <clears throat> when we buy a house, we get a 15 year or 30 year fixed rate. But I believe, and correct me if I have this wrong, that usually commercial mortgages are adjustable rate mortgages after five or seven or 10 years. Am I capturing that right? And that's a potential risk for people if they're getting a low interest rate now. You know, it, really commercial commercial interest rates, uh, you, you have all the same options in commercial as you do in residential. Um, the, the one main variable is you don't have the ability to go 30 years in commercial very often. Now, there's a handful of lenders that will do that, but at, at, you know, traditional residential loans, a 30-year loan. You can go 15, 20 years. That's advisable to pay it off sooner to pay less in interest rate when it comes to residential. In commercial, the average commercial loan is 20 years, and 15 years is very common. If you do an SBA loan, 25 years becomes usually the, the longest term you're going to see. Uh, if it's an SBA loan, there's there's both a fixed product and a variable rate or adjustable mm. rate product. There's there's two options there. Um, but yeah, I mean, commercial, it, it is very common to see an adjustable rate for the first five or seven years and then have either a balloon payment or have it adjust up. Uh, we've seen some we've seen some loans uh, in the last few weeks for clients where the interest rates are 3% for the first five, seven, or 10 years of a, of a 15, 20 year loan. And you so, start looking at the ability to borrow money uh, on a commercial product at 3% or in the threes, that's, that's crazy. I mean, that, that is so cheap uh, when it comes to the money. And then you look at the tax deductions on top of that. It, it's again, I'm not saying ownership makes sense for every person because there's times when there's no options to own or you've got to be on a hospital campus and it's not an option to own. But, if, if owning is an option, you, you got to at least consider it because money's never been this cheap and it's a phenomenal way to diversify and build an additional asset. And with, with arms, usually what I find, at least in the residential world, I'm not a commercial guy, so I can't speak to the commercial world too much. Um, but my understanding is usually arms are a lower interest rate. So if you're paying 3% on an arm, you might pay 4% on a fixed. Is that fair or, or unfair? What does that normally look yeah, like? Yeah, a lot of times, yeah. A lot of times the, the, the appeal of the arm is, the, is to capture a lower interest rate, but it is going to come with uh, a time frame in the future where it ratchets up or has the ability to increase or, or it balloons and the, the loans do. Uh, that's easier on the residential side because people just, for whatever reason, don't live in houses as long as, as they used to. And so the idea of someone being in the same house for 20, 30 years, it happens, but it's, it's much more rare today. Uh, in the commercial side, you don't, you don't usually buy a building if you can't see yourself there for at least 10 years. You know, you're, you're not going to go buy a building if you think you're going to need more space in three years because you can't exit out of that building uh, if it's commercial the same way you could exit out of a house. Everyone needs a house. Everyone needs a place to stay, needs a bedroom, a kitchen, a bathroom. When it comes to commercial, not everyone needs your highly specialized medical office building with a surgery suite or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever is important to you. And so commercial, one of the criteria is you've got to see yourself wanting to be there for at least the next, you know, seven to 10 years to where you can build up some healthy equity. Uh, but yeah, going back to interest rate, typically you can capture a lower rate if you do an arm. And uh, there's some products that, that it adjusts the market. There's other products like we saw a loan the other day is a 15 year note. And it was a 3% for the first five years, three and a half percent for the next five years and then 4% for the final five years. In that scenario, there's, there's no risk there. 
because the interest rate was set for all of the three five-year increments. And so you're capturing the benefit of the lower rates currently, it ratchets up, but even in its worst case scenario, 4%, I mean, that's, again, that, that is such cheap money. It's hard not to consider that. For sure. For sure. Well, I, I have to imagine in the world today with shopping centers having issue, I know that the Mall of America, for example, is three months behind on their mortgage. Um, there's, there's been a moratorium on residential mortgage foreclosures. I don't know about commercial. Um, is there, is there kind of a, a foreclosure wave coming? Um, is, is healthcare insulated from that or not? You know, what would you make of the market and the potential opportunities today, Colin? Well, that, that's a great question. I, I certainly do have my opinion on that and uh, some of it's speculative, but I, I'm happy to share it. You're going to see, you're always going to see higher foreclosures in the residential world. And the reason being is because you can get into residential ownership with, with less skin in the game, less, less investment. And I mean, there's products out there for residential where you can get in with nothing down with 3% down and you can get into residential with a lot of times with virtually no reserves. And so all it takes is a quick little blip on the radar and you can find yourself where you can't pay your bills. Commercial, there's usually a higher barrier to entry. There's the idea that you usually do take, uh, it takes a little bit higher down payment. Typically, again, healthcare can get around that in some industries or some specialties. Um, but there's, there's a built-in mechanism there with the healthcare uh, practice being the driving force of the real estate. Um, so when it comes to healthcare real estate, you're going to see lower foreclosures in healthcare real estate, in my opinion, than almost any other sector out there. Healthcare real estate is in my opinion, the strongest, healthiest sector you're going to see. Um, there's arguments of industrial and distribution being, being neck and neck with it. But uh, you look at the foreclosure rates or the default rates for healthcare, they're as low as any industry in the country, which is awesome. Um, as a whole, in the commercial world, I do think you're going to see some foreclosures coming because there's some landlords that were overly leveraged. Like you said, Mall of America, there's landlords that are dependent upon tenants. And when the tenants can't pay them, then they they end up defaulting um, uh, because of the tenants not paying. So uh, commercial, commercial usually trails residential anywhere between a, you know, a year or two later. If you see a huge trend in residential, it could take a year or two before it affects commercial. And it's usually not as bad as residential. So if a market tanks with a, with a residential fallout, commercial usually will follow, but it's not to the same degree. So my personal prediction is you're going to see uh, you're going to see healthcare providers as a whole find a way to get through this. You're going to see some go out of business. You're going to see some default, but I think it's going to be at, at, at as low of a rate as any industry. And I think it's going to continue to uh, continue to be a place where, where uh, lenders are going to be looking to do more healthcare loans because they are stable. Uh, landlords are going to be looking to seek and find more healthcare providers for their buildings because they know that they have the highest success rate and the highest chance of succeeding. So I think you're going to see some good opportunities coming up with, with, with people defaulting and a chance to buy some buildings uh, that maybe weren't available if the market hadn't corrected. But I think commercial is going to stay pretty strong as a whole. Yeah, it's so interesting. <clears throat> Residential, you know, is, is at least from what I hear, most parts around the country is still super strong right now because there's a lack of inventory. And um, it'll be interesting to see how, how that all turns out. Um, well, I would love to, as we close this podcast, Colin, would love to, to gather any other thoughts you want to share with us. I appreciate that. I, I think that the key message that I want to share 
uh, and that we work hard to share is that people need to treat their commercial real estate in their office space with a very intentional strategy. They need to go into every transaction understanding there's a lot on the line. And if you, if you hire proper representation and you, you, you start the transaction with the right amount of time, you don't start a transaction three months before your lease expires or, you know, you don't try to start a negotiation three years out either because there's no real posture or leverage there, but you hire proper representation that's going to protect your interests and have no conflicts of interest. You get a strategy of, of starting at the right time of knowing your options of having multiple properties to consider and choose from you do your due diligence. That's going to position you to make the best decision for your practice. And that's typically going to result in a substantial amount of savings for you financially. And then those savings result in you being more profitable and, and being able to hire, you know, more or better staff and having the ability to invest in, in higher levels of equipment or technology or nicer finishes, which help you attract more patients, retain more patients, increase referral patterns. Uh, it, it helps across the board. So my, my overall advice is treat commercial real estate with the respect that it's due, which is a, it's a multi-million dollar transaction when you look at it cumulatively over a 10, 15, 20 year period of time. So treat it with the respect that it's, that it's due, hire representation, have a real strategy, get a real posture, and then do the best you can to capitalize because it, it pays significant dividends if you can capitalize. And on the other side, if you end up on the wrong side of that negotiation, you don't do a good job, uh, it can cost you an extra five or 10 years of your career having to work to get that same amount of money saved for retirement or cause other uh, issues that are less than desirable. Perfect. And I know that, that uh, you and your company work all over the country. So you're not just in Denver, you're everywhere. It sounds like, or nearly everywhere. If, if folks want to get in touch with you and, and your company for some help, whether they're looking to buy a building or whether they want to um, lease a building, what uh, would be the best way to get in touch with you, sir? I appreciate that. Uh, we, we do. We do work in uh, every state across the country. We're doing deals in Alaska, Hawaii, all the coast. So we're, we're touching deals across the country. We're currently helping over 2,500 healthcare providers as we speak with the real estate. So it, it'd be a privilege to speak with anybody who has any questions. Uh, our website is car.us, C-A-R-R.us. And in the upper right-hand corner of our website, you can click to find an agent and you can find someone who represents healthcare providers in your area. We also have a, a tab in the upper right that says free evaluation. And if somebody wants to know, hey, how do, I, how do I consider a lease versus purchase? Or how do my current terms that I'm leasing compare to the market? Uh, if I want to look at other properties, we'll do a detailed market evaluation for you at no cost upfront, independent of any relationship. We, we, we provide that information upfront uh, because it helps people understand how to start their transactions, what their options are. And, and we love arming uh, providers with that information because it empowers them to understand how to start a transaction or what their options are. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Colin, for being with us. And definitely make sure to check out his website. Look for more resources, my friends, and definitely a main piece of advice here. Hey, it doesn't, doesn't cost you anything to, to ask for a little bit of help. And um, these folks get, get paid when something gets done, right, Colin? That's exactly right. Yep. Just like residential real estate, if you're a tenant or a buyer, you should never be paying a real estate agent. Um, that's one of the beautiful or one of the beautiful things of, of commercial real estate is tenants and buyers don't pay commissions. Landlords pay commissions. They set aside a certain amount of money before a transaction even starts. 
And if a healthcare provider goes into a deal without a broker, the listing agent gets a double commission. So there's, there's no cost to the doctor for having representation. You're not going to, you're not going to pay more for that. That, that same amount of money that's going to get paid is going to get paid either one broker or two. And so representation becomes a free service, just like in residential real estate. And it, it's really a no brainer at that point. I love it. All righty, folks. Well, there you have it. Definitely look for some help and, and ask for, for an evaluation. Should it be the right thing for your situation? For the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, this is Dave Denniston. Remember, my friends, remember to slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle.